0: You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Hey everybody, Matt Nickerson here. I'm the lead pastor at Kingsway Christian Church. It is an honor to be sitting with you and bringing God's word to you. I'm going to start with a question today, right? The question is this, what is the thing that you hate dealing with the most? For me, I'm about to tell you. I was outside doing some projects, part of this quarantine, catching up on old stuff that needed to be done. Right around my garden, we've got these bricks. And where the bricks come together, they make a V. And debris and old leaves, old mulch, old whatever, loves to gather there. So I was outside working and I went to reach into there to gather all this stuff out and I had a flashback. Now I lived in Colorado for about 10 years and when I moved to Colorado, everybody has sprinkler systems. And the reason we do is because it's a a high desert, literally so dry, it's terrible, terrible dry. And so people put in sprinkler systems and sometimes you have to go in and tune up the system. Well, somebody warned me, praise God, that when I went to tune up the system, that when you reach your hand in there, be careful because these things love to live in there. Yikes, that's a black widow. Now I've heard of black widows. I've heard stories about black widows. I've never actually seen a black widow. And so I would always get anxious when I had to reach in there, looking around, trying to fish anything out of there, make sure that nothing could see me that I couldn't see, that it could bite me, that I wasn't going to reach into. Thought it was gonna be great. we would moved to Indiana. We'd leave all of those days behind us. And one day we had Terminix out just to do general treatment on our house. And the Terminix guy came out, and I'm just being my normal social, friendly self, and I'm talking to the guy. And hey, what's your what's your least favorite, you know, bug or whatever you deal with? And the guy's talking to me and whatever. And next thing I know, he's telling me about this. Yes, that is a brown recluse spider. And yes, they actually are here in Indiana, and they are supposedly worse than the black widow. Now, the reason they're called recluse is because they love to hide away and not be seen and you're never gonna find them. But then he told me, he said, the way that most people get bit by a brown recluse is they put together an old pile of leaves and the recluse is somewhere down under there and the kids start jumping at them and you know, just love rolling around in the leaves and have fun. My kids do it every single fall. And he said, they just don't know that a brown recluse has climbed into there. He's just hiding out because they love dark, damp places to hide. Now fast forward and I'm working in my garden and I'm reaching into this crevice and there's all kinds of dead leaves and dark, damp things. And I'm thinking to myself, what else is hiding in here? Now, that's a great setup for us. If you come back to this original question, what is the thing you hate dealing with the most? Here's what I know about you, because it's true about me. It's true about every human I've ever met. Whatever the things are in your life that you hate the most, my guess is you try to leave them in the dark push them aside, and ignore them. In fact, this goes all the way back to the very beginning. Adam and Eve in the garden, after their first sin, the very first thing they do is they run into the bushes and they start to hide from God and from each other. And we've been hiding ever since. This is part of the reason why Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 12, It says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Throughout John's book, he uses this comparison of light and dark. He uses all kinds of contrasting and and metaphors and comparisons. He loves to do that. And this is one analogy he uses over and over and over. He even goes into 1 John and uses it over and over and over again. In 1 John, he says, and anybody who uh, walks in the light has a relationship with God and with each other. And so we should be in the light as he is in the light. He says in John chapter 3, you actually read, right? Very famous verse, perhaps the most famous verse in all the Bible, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, will not die, but will have everlasting life. But he goes on just a few verses later, and he says the reason that people don't come into the light is because they're afraid of being exposed. See, there's this fear that we have of the light. But the light is a good thing. Because as I've been saying throughout the series... What happens in the dark tends to be gross or perhaps terrifying for some, maybe even shameful. And that's why I want to get back to this question of what is the thing that you hate dealing with the most? My guess is whatever it is, it's hiding somewhere in the dark. I love to read the news and I love to read articles and everything I'm reading says some people are really being blessed by this quarantine. They're they're taking advantage of it. They're using it to spend more time with their family or perhaps exercising or catching up on projects that needed done. Some are wisely setting aside time to be with God and let Him speak into their life and to grow in their walk with Him. But that's not true for everybody. And many of the studies that I've read say addictions are on the rise, abuse is on the rise, dysfunctional homes are on the rise. And so for some, where light is present, this is going to draw them closer to God and make them better people. But for some, where light needs to be shown, the dark parts start to win the day. And Jesus says, anybody who has me has light, and anybody who has light, of life. And this is what Jesus wants to get to. So let's build on what we said last week as we go into today's message more. To summarize all of last week's message, and this is like part two to that, next week will be part three to that, I said this, Jesus has come to set you free to have a new identity in him without rehashing all of last week, an identity is really at your core, who you believe you are and who you believe you are. In order to feel free in this life, you're going to have to align your life to your beliefs. Now, the psychological world tells us that the reason that most people feel anxious in this life is because they aren't living out of a core value set system that is in sync with their actions. Those two things are some sort of discontinuity between them. Now, I would say the Bible agrees with that as long as we're defining that core belief system through the lens of our new identity found in God. This is powerful for us. In fact, I want to show it to you in Jesus himself. Because if you go all the way back to Easter, for those of you who are with us on Easter, if you weren't with us on Easter, here's a summary, but you need to go watch that message. I told you on Easter, there's a doctrine called imputation. And what that means is on Good Friday, when Jesus died on the cross, he took our sin upon himself, our sin, our worst, our darkness was imputed into him. And on Easter Sunday, when he rose from the dead, his new life was imputed into us. We call it the doctrine of imputation. So now what's true of Jesus Christ is true of us. When God looks at us, he no longer sees our worst days. He sees his son. And that's important because of this. John chapter 8, verse 13. The Pharisees challenged him. The him here is Jesus. They said, here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Now, without going too deep into the Old Testament text, essentially what's going on here is God required that in order for a a person on trial or whatever it is, in order for their testimony to be valid, you had to have two or three witnesses saying that what they said is true. And Jesus is going to deal with that in a moment. I want you to hear Jesus' words, and I'm really going to apply it. And really what I want you to listen to as we're reading these is I want you to listen to Jesus' confidence in his identity. Ready? John chapter 8, verse 14. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. <laughs> you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one, but if I do judge, my decisions are true because I'm not alone. I stand with the father who sent me in your own law. It is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the father who sent me. Now, this is a powerful text. Because the Pharisees are really getting agitated. In the book of John, they're building to this moment where Jesus is going to be crucified by many of these very religious leaders. And they're constantly going toe-to-toe with Jesus. And he is calling them out. This is a very intense text. In fact, two chapters later, Jesus actually builds on this. And he says, not only do I testify, not only does the Father testify, but even the Holy Spirit testifies on my behalf. You should believe, if nothing else, on the works that you see. So he even offers a third testimony. But do you hear in his voice Jesus' confidence? Jesus is absolutely confident in who he is, where he comes from, and where he's going. I belong to the Father. I don't need to give any other testimony. I could point to John the Baptist. I could point to these miracles. I got these disciples with me. But God knows, and I know, He knows who he is, where he comes from, and where he's going. What about you? See, this is critical. If you want to experience the freedom that Jesus promises when he says he has set you free, the only way you're going to do that is to find the confidence in who God is in you. Now, where we go is we tend to mess up this order. And what happens to us is we become anxious about where we come from. That makes us insecure about where we're going. Because of that, we live our lives from a place of anxiety and fear. The book that I was listening to while working my garden, it's a really short book, roughly 250 pages. I'm an audible guy and I like to do my books in one and a half to two speed, depending on the reader and how fast they're moving and I finished it in just a few hours. But the book was called Kill the Spider. Kill the Spider. It was written by a guy named Carlos Whitaker. His online kind of nickname handle is Los. He's had that name for a long time. Carlos grew up as a son of two immigrants. His dad was an evangelist, went around and preached at different places. And Carlos went through a really tough season in his life. The private things, the dark things in his life, were eating his lunch and he was indulging them way, way, way too much. And when everything came to the surface and God shined a big light because he loved Carlos into his life, his marriage fell apart. As he began to rebuild and restore his marriage, a few years down the road, he was still hitting certain walls. He just couldn't break through. And he was meeting with a counselor, a therapist who suggested to him that he go to a uh, experiential retreat so he decided to go to this place and he loaded up his, his, his luggage. His family was in the car and he had to drive. And for a week, he would be disengaged from everybody. No cell phone, no contact with the outside world. He was at their hands to lead him and guide him into further healing and hope. And just before he got there, he called to say goodbye to his parents. And he jokes about being the son of immigrants and how every conversation takes a really long time. And his dad said, son, 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 I need to tell you something. He's trying to say goodbye to the kids. He's got to get into there. It's on, it's on a timeline. And he said, dad, I don't have time. He said, no, son, you need to hear this. You need to hear this. And his dad says to him on the phone, he said, "Dad, son, I was, I was doing uh, an evangelism conference at one point, And at the end of one night, this lady came up to me and she said, son, or she said, sorry, she said, pastor, I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray that God would clear the cobwebs out of my life. And he put his hand on this lady and he prayed for her very powerfully and he prayed loud, God, drive the cobwebs out from this lady's life. The next night he showed up and as many of these events would go, he preached again. And the lady came back up the next night and she said, oh, pastor, it didn't quite work. And would you pray again? And he prayed again. And The next night she came back up and would you pray again? And finally, the third night he looked at her, he said, no more, no more. I will not pray for God to take the cobwebs out of your life. From now on, I will pray for God to kill the spider. The rest of the book is really Carlos telling you his experience at this week long retreat and then trying to take the wisdom that he learned there and apply it to you. I highly recommend the book. But I learned a lot of things while going through this. Using Carlos's analogy of a spider, he says this, a cobweb is a medicator that brings false comfort to a lie. A cobweb is a medicator that brings false comfort to a lie. Now that's powerful, and I'll get to the lie in just a moment, but that's powerful because most of us try to do this throughout our lives. Life gets hard, life gets stressful, anxiety rises, fear rises, whatever it is, and we have found a number of coping mechanisms. And we find this both in the way, say, as a parent, you deal with your child. And for some of you, this situation is so highly stressful that you are dealing with these things in ways that are really addictive patterns. Some of you right now are dealing with marital stress, all the changes and the fears and the anxieties of the future, has you guys bickering and fighting and arguing or whatever, and the worst parts of you are coming out. But you've learned certain coping skills. They aren't good, they aren't healthy, they aren't making anything better, but they're survival mechanisms for you. One of my friends and mentors, a guy named Rick Sudsbury, he said, you know, sometimes what we look at and call bad behavior is somebody else's only solution to a problem. And some of you have come up with solutions to deal with life problems that really aren't healthy, and they are what we would call a cobweb. And what most of us do is when life gets just painful enough, we make some sort of new commitment Oh, I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to radically do that. I'm going I'm to spend time with God every day. And that'll last for a week or two. You go on a retreat, perhaps a men's retreat or the if gathering that we just did. Perhaps you go on one of the 4M gatherings and you think, Ah, oh, this is it. I'm going to change, God. I'm going to change. And you slightly change for a little while. And you start to chase the cobwebs out. But there's still something lying deep below the surface, a spider. Jesus says in John 8:31 to 32, To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, this is powerful. Not only do we have to know who we are, where we come from, and where we're going, but we have to learn to start to change the way we see our life through the lens of truth. The reason that Jesus can testify on his own behalf is because he spoke the truth always at all times. The reason that God commanded that we have two to three witnesses in every trial is because the reality is we live in a world full of liars and deceivers. The truth is so easy to twist and turn and manipulate and control so that we don't always have to speak the truth at all times in all ways. But it's so damaging. It's so destructive. So hurtful, that the way we deal with this is we replace the lies with the truth, and therein lies where our spiders are. In fact, a spider is an agreement with a lie that you believe, an agreement with a lie that you believe. A while ago, we put a ministry together here. And we called it reclaimed. We liked that given where everybody was with pallet walls and furniture, old furniture, and taking it and making an old thing, something new. But what we really did in that ministry that used to exist here is we took people who have either hurt others by their sins or have been dramatically hurt by others from their sins. And we put them together in a group, males in one camp and females in another camp. And we allowed them to experience the grace of God, that as grace was, God's grace was moving in one of them, everybody could experience that together. And it's powerful because every single one of us have both hurt others and been hurt by others. And here's what happens. At some point in your life, when you experience some sort of trauma, you might make decisions about God from your experiences. You may not even remember the moment that you made those decisions. But somewhere in your life, you started to believe a little lie. Maybe God doesn't care for me. Maybe He's too busy for me. Maybe I'm not important enough or valuable enough for my parents to take time out of their day for. Maybe I'll never have enough food. Maybe I'll never be loved. Maybe the only way I can ever become important is if I give all I have to this thing. The list could go on and on and on. But consequently, we become a people who start to live out of these traumas, out of these wounds. And we start to put together the pieces of our lives in a way that only makes sense to us. What may seem like terrible behavior or a bad idea to one person may be the only solution that some of us have to what we were dealing with at some point. And the question is, is that the truth? Is that the truth about God? I just read this book over the last week. But I actually heard of this book a few years ago. I actually, as a part of my sabbatical from a few years ago, I was given a homework assignment by this counselor that I was meeting with, trying to just get a healthier lifestyle put together. And the reality is the next day was my counseling appointment and I came across a podcast that was an interview with Carlos Whitaker, the guy who wrote the book. And I decided that instead of doing my homework that my counselor had asked me to do, that I was going to continue to listen to this podcast. The next day, I decided that I was going to talk about the podcast since I hadn't done the homework, instead of just looking at the guy that I'm paying and tell him that I didn't do the homework. See how we play these games? What was crazy is what God had in store for me that very next day. When I got in there and I started telling him about Kill the Spider and Carlos's experience and the things that God had said to him and how that was impacting me, and then my counselor looked at me and he applied it to me, and he asked me a very probing question about a lie that I had come to believe, and here was what I did not anticipate in that moment. The moment that he asked me a question, God flooded my mind with a moment from my life where something very painful and traumatic happened, and I suddenly remembered it as if I was sitting in the room again. And all of a sudden, the allergies in the room got turned up pretty high. I reached for the tissue box. I hadn't expected to talk about that or deal with that that day. In fact, I had totally forgotten about the moment. But I had a father who loved me, who was ready to rest my identity in him. There's really no doubt or question that God was trying to bring healing into my life in an area that I had closed off from him. And the other reality is I had started to live out of, many years ago, this wound. And I had believed a number of lies about who God is and who God wants to be in my life and who God says I am and what God wants to do in my life as a result of the very traumatic moment, but not there. God began to heal me and restore me and rebuild my understanding of who he is. Jesus says in John eight forty four. 44, now he's talking to the Pharisees, okay, but understand what he says to them, it's powerful. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. This is critical because what our enemy, Satan, loves to do, he loves to take those traumas from our life. Build a lie narrative about God around them and then tell you in some form or fashion the only person that you can trust is you. So don't open yourself up to anybody else. Don't ever lean on or depend on anybody else. Or there may be one or two or three or let's be honest or maybe 10 or 20 areas of your heart you can never entrust to another person because nobody else is going to care for you. And then God shows up and he wants to blow up. Your understanding of just how powerful and big and good God is. Matthew chapter seven, Jesus tells us a parable, a story. It's not a true story, but it proves true in our everyday life. He says, There are two people, they each built a house. One of them built their house on this beautiful, beautiful location overlooking the ocean. It's just a one, everybody looked at him and went, That was a great choice way to build your life there another guy he went further away and he built his house on some rock bed it wasn't quite the grandiose location of the guy who built it on right there on the beach but he knew that the foundation was firm and he said when the winds came and the rain started to pour and the water started to rise the guy who built his house on the sand man, he lost the whole house but the guy who built his house on the rock stood firm Now, Jesus in Matthew 7 goes on and he says, this is what it will be like for anybody who builds their life on my teachings. This is a powerful analogy for us. Both people had to build a house. That cost something. Now, one made a choice. They're going to build their life on who Jesus is and what he says. Another person is going to build their life on what the world says or what others think is good or wise. Jesus says, one will produce fruit for you and the other will not. Here's a question for you. What lies do you believe about God? My guess is just asking that question, one of two things happened. One, immediately, for some of you, a lie about God flooded your mind because the Holy Spirit is speaking and you're ready to hear. For some of you, you might not be there yet. In fact, you might be hearing this message and literally thinking to yourself, I have no idea what he is talking about. But that's okay. That doesn't mean there isn't an answer for you. Towards the end of the book, Carlos tells a powerful story about how he had to do some serious dealing with God. And he had to hear the voice of God say back to him, I never left you, I never abandoned you, I never forsook you. That experience for him anchored Carlos in this desire to continue to chase spiders in his life, to find out what are the very lies that I believe about God and about who I am as a result of these lies and what could God do if I could find them. And he said that he begins every day with a prayer that goes like this. Jesus, I come to you now to be made whole with you again. I come to you now asking to be restored and renewed in you this day. I come to you to claim the grace and mercy you have waiting for me. I now surrender every aspect of who I am, who I have been, and who I will be totally to you, Lord. After praying this kind of prayer, he literally just stops, takes a deep breath, sometimes another breath, and just calms his anxious thoughts, his anxious body. Did you know there's actually something physical that happens when you take a deep breath? And just exhale. My mentor, uh, Rick Sesbury, once told me, he said, Matt, you know, if you come home and your wife seems stressed about her day, you know the most powerful thing you can do is just walk over to her and hug her and hold her and not let go. He said, you will literally feel her take a deep breath and begin to feel her shoulders just relax. And then you'll know she's more okay than she was before. Imagine yourself doing this with God in this moment. Pull out a journal, a piece of paper, something like that. And then pray this. Thank you, Jesus, for being here. I invite you to come in and show me that place where my heart was shattered. Come in and show me that place where I was wounded. Come in and show me that place where I made an agreement with the lie that has kept me bound. Jesus, maybe even shoot me a memory or a word. Come for me, Jesus, and show me that place. Now, the power of this is that we are inviting God who loves you, who wants to know you. He wants a relationship with you and he wants to set you free into our lives. Not to expose us, to hurt us, but to bring us into a relationship with the truth. And Jesus says the truth will set you free. Carlos goes on and he says, then after you've prayed that, rather than dump out all your prayer lists and all the things that you could think of, just listen. Sit and listen. Write down anything that comes to mind, especially any wounds that came in that moment. Especially look for any agreements you made in that moment as a result of the lie. I've already begun this process in my own heart. I want to encourage you to do the same. Now realize, some of you who may be watching with us, you don't even have a relationship with God yet, and this whole thing may seem really kind of weird or wacky or like what in the world? But I'm telling you, the power of this is profound. The reason most of us are afraid to do this is because we're afraid of what God might reveal in that moment. And I need to give you an encouragement. I want to show you a text about why it is so important that we spend time in God's word. Here it says, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. It says this, The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now, for years, I would read a verse like that and I would be afraid of God. I would be afraid of God's word. I would be afraid of what God's word would do to me because anything that's that powerful actually revealed to me the darkest parts of my heart and set me on a different path. Oh man, I'm not sure I can afford that kind of judgment in my life. But it's because I would often stop reading right there. But the writer of Hebrews, and we don't know exactly who that is, what what they're saying is so powerful. We think the high priest is here to punish us. We think the high priest is here to judge us and condemn us. The high priest Jesus, it's not that. He understands how hard it is to live this life. He's been tempted in every way that we've been tempted. But he didn't sin. So not only can he empathize with our struggle, he also can lead us out of the darkness and into light because he never failed. He is the perfect leader for you, which is why it says in verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Remember on resurrection day, the temple veil, which blocked off the throne of God from the people, tore from top to bottom in two. It was pointing us to this. Now, all people, not just the high priest back in the day, all people could come to the throne room of God, the throne room, not of judgment, the throne room of grace, and find everything they need there. I don't know exactly how this message hits you or what's going on in your heart, your life, your family, but I want you to know this. God never created you to do life alone. The church is here to walk with you through whatever the Lord is revealing to you that you need to deal with right now. The biggest problem for all of us is, will we stay in the darkness because we think the light is to expose us or will run to the light because we believe there is the grace that we need? If you're sitting at home right now and this message strikes you in any particular way, we want you to know we have a number of ministries available to help you. Right now, you can take out your cell phone and you can just text 317 Put the word connect in there. You don't even have to know everything you need. You'll get a little form back. Just fill out that form. We'll reach out. We'll talk to you, and we will do everything we can to serve you and come alongside you in this journey. But by all means, don't chase out cobwebs. Kill the spider.